Even Abraham, who was their father, had himself been chosen from the very pit of sin and unrighteousness. Even Joshua would challenge his people by referring to those days. Near the end of Joshua's life, he gathers the people together and he speaks to them. And he says this to them in Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3. Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Now he's talking about the river. So he says, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abram, or Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So right there it tells us that Abraham was also an idol worshiper. And I took, your, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. But then a few verses later in verse 15, where Joshua makes that grand statement that we should all learn and know. Joshua said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the God which your fathers, who are the fathers? Terah and his family. Serve that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does that tell us about Abraham? And what does that tell us about the times that that line had to live in? Paul the Apostle would refer to those days as well. And applied them to both his day and our day. If you've been studying with us in Genesis on Sunday mornings and and Romans on Wednesday nights uh, for these last two years where we've spent so much time in these things and in, in, in these issues. Genesis and Romans have been walking hand in hand together. But now we're going to go back to Romans chapter 1 and we're going to see that what Paul was talking about was the very same times from which Abraham came. Look at what he says in verse 21 of Romans 1. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him, not as God. What was the Tower of Babel all about? The Tower of Babel was the very fact that they knew who God was, but they didn't glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful, but because they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We said last time that uh, by the time they got to, to Babel and they began to build this tower, they were building the tower so that they could worship other gods. In fact, they were worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars. But they didn't stop there. They began to also worship all kinds of other things. They worshiped the animals. And they worshiped man. And they made gods out of men and of beasts. And then what we see in verse 24, Paul saying, he says, Wherefore God also gave them up, gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Listen, if we do a very careful study of, 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 of what man did in their passions and in their lusts with each other, it would take us back before the flood and it would take us back to the time after the flood that we're looking at here today. 
Because it says here, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet, which means it was fitting. It was a fitting thing. In other words, the judgment. Please understand. I don't think we need any explanation. We know what God is saying here through Paul. We know what he's saying. It's an abomination to God. It was then before the flood. It was an abomination after the flood. It's an abomination today. What men are doing with their own selves and with their own bodies. Do we need any further explanation? God is going to judge it. He goes on, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, fitting, proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. That same attitude exists today. And yet Paul was pointing to a time before. To the time before the flood as well as to the time after the flood. And it brings us to a second point, And that is that the human race, including the godly line, was without excuse. They were without excuse. They all had a strong witness for decade after decade. Noah was their, was their witness. Shem was their witness. What happens after that? We don't know. When you consider the overlaps of years by Noah and Shem of their lives, if we were to take a chart, and I, you know, we, can, we can produce a chart that, that takes us from, from Adam all the way through Abraham. And how all the people that are mentioned from Adam all the way to Abraham, every one, you know, their timeline, there, there's a line that overlaps other time periods and other things. So if there was a godly line that was preaching the, the, you know, the God of creation and all of that, it would overlap, which means that they would continue to pass this on. So there was a witness. So Noah lived 350 years after the flood, which would put his time of death about 2,006 years after creation. And then Shem lived until about the year 2158, which means 2,158 years after creation. So this was overlapping these times that brought us to the, the Tower of Babel. And you would think that they would have been more of an influence. But we have so many churches today, we have so many people on TV, so many people on the radio, so many preachers here and there. And yet the world is still in the condition that it's in. Not to say that people aren't coming to Christ. Praise the Lord. You, for the most part, I'm sure that all of you have come to Christ. It would be nice if all of us did. The reality is some of you may not know Jesus. I hope that today you will know him. That you'll come to know him. But for the most part, we're here. Many of us are here because we have come to know what Jesus Christ did for us on a cross 2,000 years ago. 
and the effect of that. But the world out there is still wicked and is still corrupt. Because man's heart is corrupt. God knew that all the time. It wasn't a surprise to him. He didn't create the world and then, you know, expect that everything was going to go fine until, the, you know, until he had to bring about the flood. I'm going to get rid of this generation of people. I'll save some. And from those, I know it's going to get better. That wasn't God. God knew from the very beginning that when man would sin, there would be sin through the whole of the human race. He knew that. He's sovereign. But he had a plan and he still has a plan. And he's not done with his plan. That's why we're here today. Because God's not done with His plan. And He's not done with us. And He's not done using us to bring other people to Jesus Christ, by the way. And Jesus is coming soon, so we need to get busy. This is the encouragement. We're still living in these times where man's heart is corrupt and gripped by selfishness, gripped by greed, gripped by the passion for pleasure and wealth and fame and power, all to the neglect of others. We can go all the way back to Genesis 6, verse 5, where it says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We can go to the prophet Jeremiah in in chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, where God says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. So God knows the heart of man. And yet he promised back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that there would be the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And that seed came. It came through the godly line. And look at how thin that line got with Noah. And then look at how thin it got with Abraham. And yet in the midst of all of this corruption and in the midst of all of this sin, Abram is called out by God. But don't think that that was an easy thing. Don't think that it was an easy thing that Abram just got called by God and everything was okay. Now that line continues. Let's read verses 27 to 32 again of Genesis 11. Some things are going to begin to kind of fall into place here for us. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Naor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. That is the Mesopotamian Valley or the Euphrates Valley. This is where modern-day Iraq is. This is where... Even modern-day Babylon is. I was just talking to someone who was in Iraq a few years ago and, and uh, says, I remember, every time you talk about Babylon, I remember Babylon because we were there in Babylon. And then it says, And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. That's Sarah, by the way. Her name will change as we go on in the story and the account. And Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his son's son and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, notice. But it says they came unto Haran and dwelt there. What does that remind you of? 
They came into the plains of Shinar and dwelt there and built a tower. Okay, so keep that in mind. And the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now I'm going to cut a few corners here today in the account. But it is very possible. It is very possible that Abram received his calling before we see it in Genesis 12. And it comes, this idea comes from something said by Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was a deacon that was, that was appointed in the church to help to serve tables back when the, the apostles saw so many people coming to Christ and they just, they couldn't, you know, split themselves up into so many people to do this. So they raised up men. And Stephen was one of these men filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost. And he, and he loved God and he loved Jesus. But he was confronted by the Jews. As a matter of fact, Stephen would die because he would be stoned to death. And Saul of Tarsus was there when that happened. And this is the account that Stephen gives them the history. And this part of the history that I want to read to you was not debated by the Jews. In Acts 7, 20, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 7 verses 2 through 4, Stephen begins to speak. He says, men and brethren and fathers... Notice the respect he has. Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, notice, when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Notice that. Before he dwelt in Haran. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, Ur, the Euphrates Valley, and he dwelt in Haran. Notice, not Canaan, Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein he now dwelt. So Stephen makes it clear, and this was not argued by the religious leaders of Stephen's time. This was their history. This is what they understood. You see, Abraham came out of the land of destruction because if you remember, God came down and scattered the people out of Babel. In effect, destroyed Babylon. So Abraham came out of the land of destruction, which of course was Babylon, but didn't go far enough. The name Terah, by the way, his father, his father's name means delay. How interesting. The Lord called Abram and he was partially obedient to what God said. He did leave Ur of the Chaldeans, but fell short of where the Lord called him to go. Now, he may have delayed his obedience some 15 to 25 years. That's a long time to dwell in a certain place when God didn't call you to go there. Now, the name Haran is an interesting name too because it means barren. You remember that Sarah was called barren. Barren that she couldn't have any children. And they're living in a place called barren. And what is that saying to us? Well, it's telling us that in Haran, as Abraham delayed his obedience to the Lord, he was barren spiritually. There was no life and no fruit. 
What a lesson to learn. That the barrenness in our Christian life, because sometimes, and I, you know, we, we, can, we can talk to people in the church, we can talk to, you know, our friends and brothers in Christ, and sometimes we just, we, we've oftentimes said, man, I just feel so empty, I feel so barren. Why? Well, consider this, if you will. That the barrenness in our Christian life may be a result of our delay, delaying to obey the Lord. We hear from God, and we, we know clearly that God wants us to do something, but then we act like those little kids in the family circus cartoon, you know? That little Billy's told to go do something, and, and it takes him like 10 miles of walking here and there before he finally gets where he's going, and he doesn't even remember what he was supposed to do. And we delay what God has called us to do. But in the very fact that we delay, we find ourselves barren, empty. But listen, God wants us in the promised land, walking in the Spirit, just as He called Abram to do. And by the way, the promised land for us, where is it? It's in heaven. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you already have the promise of that. If Read Ephesians chapter 1. Because there, Paul tells us we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, but we're still living here. The promise is there, but we're still here. But we walk by faith here because we know that we live there. And we need to be walking by faith like Abraham walked in his day and time, trusting God every step of the way. But not just a little bit of the way, or not just part of the way, but trusting God all the way. And then serving God all the way. And loving God all the way. Isn't it interesting that Jesus in Matthew 22 verse 37 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Three times he uses the word all. Never does he say some, you know, some of your heart and some of your soul. No, all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. This is how you're to love the Lord. How many of us have delayed getting to that place where we are totally and committed fully to the Lord? A great preacher one time said, you know, Christians don't lie. They just, they don't tell lies, he said. Christians don't tell lies. They just sing them in church. Yeah. And he was referring to the song, I Surrender All. I heard another preacher say one time he says you know we say we sing I surrender all but we were actually really saying to the Lord I surrender 10% I surrender 25% I'm a little better than the guy that surrenders 10% but that's not what we're called to do we're called to surrender all we are called to submit totally to the Lord Jesus Christ to his wisdom to his grace to his strength when we are weak he is strong Where? In us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it freely without reproach. Do you lack wisdom? Ask of God. Do you need direction? Trust trust in the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Abram was not waiting upon the Lord. He was just settling in. This is why I say Abram is more like us that we could ever imagine. But let's move him on here because it's important for time. We do see that he goes from delay to devotion. 
from that delay to his devotion to the Lord. Chapter 12 now. And verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Now listen carefully what's going to happen here. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Not Ur of the Chaldees. Haran. He had been been called by God before that. And he delayed in Haran. But now he moves on. And Abram took Sarai, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had got in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared unto Abram. And listen to this. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Abram is barren, or was barren. Sarah, his wife, is barren, physically barren. But we don't hear Abram go to the Lord and say, oh, excuse me, Lord, uh, you sure you're talking to the right person? Because I don't have any children, and my wife can't have any children. So are you talking to me? Do you notice that this this conversation doesn't take place? Notice again what God says. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there Abraham built an altar unto the Lord. And God appeared unto him. He trusted God. He trusted the Lord. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel in the west and Hai in the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham responded now to the call of God. And Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. My question to you today before we come to the table of communion is, have you considered... What footsteps you've been following and where your feet have been. We have some great footsteps laid out before us. The footsteps of those who have gone before us through a world of of confusion and trials, like Abraham, like Moses, like David, like Peter like Paul. Those are all wonderful footsteps to follow in a sense. But the greatest footsteps to follow are those of Jesus himself. Those have been laid down for us from the very beginning. Where are your feet going? 
Are you worried where you're going to step? Years ago, our, our soldiers were trained, and this going back into the earlier world wars, and even before that and after that, trained that if there were areas where landmines existed, find the footprints and walk on the footprints. You should be assured for the most part not to step on a landmine if you do that. Where are your feet going? Are you worried about the landmines of this world? Then find the footsteps of faith and walk on those. And find the footsteps of Jesus. Because it's going to be very clear that we are indeed having to guard ourselves against the influence of secular humanism and, and against all of the false religions of man today. There are the landmines all around us. We need to walk on the footsteps of Jesus. But there's times when we're not sure if we see a footstep or not. It would be at that time that in our surrender to the Lord that he'll carry us because the Lord knows where all the landmines are. And there'll still be a set of footprints that'll only be his. And he'll carry us to safety because we trust in him. Abraham didn't, didn't lay footsteps down as much as we'd like to think, as much as we would believe in that, more than likely, he was carried. God carried him. And God carried Moses and all the rest. And he says, I'll carry you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who have been labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll carry you. And if we look down, we see his footprints. Where are you putting your feet today? We do have to guard against these things. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Sounds like another list we read earlier, doesn't it? Romans 1 unthankful and holy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Those are the landmines, folks. But Paul told Timothy, when Timothy was a young man who was being called out to pastor the church in Ephesus, Paul tells him this in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 through 16. The first thing he said to him is, But you, O man of God, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee the things of the world. Flee the passions of the world and the pressures of the world and the fame of the world and the power of the world and the wealth of the world. Flee these things and pursue. And there's a great idea here in that word pursue of putting those feet right in the right places. 
Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Then he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you, in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Pursue righteousness, holiness, godliness, gentleness. Pursue the Spirit. Pursue the, the fruit of the Spirit. Pursue the love of God. Pursue the love of Jesus Christ. Because as you do this, you won't step on those landmines. But if there's ever any question, trust the Lord with all of your heart and He'll carry you because He knows where the landmines are. When you take this cup today and the bread, I want you to consider where your footsteps are and where you're placing them and where they need to go. Father, thank you for the example of, Mo, of, of Abraham today. Once again, I thank you that It is an encouragement to know that he was human like us. Not outside of the struggles and the trials of this life. And we'll learn more about that as we go on in our study of Abraham. But today, Lord God, we are confronted with that examination of our own heart of where we stand with you, of what we know about you and how we are treating that and dealing with that today. So, Father, I pray that as we take this bread and this cup, because it is for sinners, and we're all sinners, that this will bring to our remembrance where you took us from to bring us to where we are today. And how we are from this point on and from this place pressing on to follow after you and be kept in your love and grace and mercy. I pray for those who may be here for the first time that may not know who you are, may not really know who you are, Jesus. I pray they come to discover the joy of your salvation today say with all of their hearts, Lord, forgive me of my sins and give me a new heart so that I can partake of this bread and cup and know that it was all for me 
to be right with you. To die to sin and death and to let sin and death die from me. That I might live a life of faith and trust. Have your way with us, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Till he come. There's four things that I want to ask you to consider this morning. Four things. It's one perspective, but there, there's there's four realities as we partake of this bread and cup. First of all, we are to look back. For Paul tells us that we proclaim the Lord's death. So we look back to the cross. But then we are to look within. Later on in this particular chapter, we are told that a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of this cup. We are to examine our own hearts. We can examine today our our feet following in the steps of faith. We are then to look around and realize that we're not alone in this place as we partake of this bread. In the previous chapter, Paul says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. It brings us together in unity in Christ. But then we are also to look ahead. Because we said we are to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, consider these things along with God's word today. And in the life of Abraham. How God has called you. And has brought you out of a pit of sin and corruption placed your feet on a solid foundation and has actually established your steps. Our examination is, am I walking on those steps? But I'm not walking alone. I, I share this with you and you share it with me. And we all together look up because our redemption draws near. Jesus is coming again. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this bread. We thank you, Lord God, for all that it represents to us. That it represents for us, Lord God, the life that you've given, the food, not only physically, but because you do give us our daily bread, but more importantly, our spiritual bread, the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ himself. How thankful we are to partake of this bread together this morning and to know, Lord God, that you've given us life and a life with purpose and a life with meaning and a life, Lord God, that extends way beyond what we could ever imagine because it, it, it reaches into eternity. And we are so thankful that together we can partake of this. 
Help us now, Father, to focus our attention upon those steps that we are to take each and every day of our lives. The steps of faith. The steps of trust. The steps of confidence that we have in you. Lord, we are blessed by your presence with us today. Continue, Lord God, to minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. That was the first time I had musical accompaniment for my prayer. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Let's take the cup. Oh, Father, thank you for this cup. And for what this represents, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, Lord, how we are to remember that each and every day of our lives. And how as we partake of this cup together today, it brings us, Lord God, into the unity of your spirit and the unity, Lord, of, of your life because the life is in your blood to us. The life that saved us, the life that keeps us, the life that will bring us into that treasure of eternity. We are so grateful and so thankful that we can rejoice in that even though we have yet to see it. But we will see it because you'll give us new eyes to see him, to see you, to see your glory, to see our home and our promised land. We look to that day, Lord, as we look to the day of Christ. Thank you for this cup. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Shall we stand?